0: Welcome back. Enjoy the rest
1: of the episode. Welcome back to part two of episode six, Memorial Tao, Present Tao. And we are going into part two, looking at deeper integration of emotional intelligence into our meditation, as well as looking at some concepts of Taoism and cognition and how they relate to this so uh in the first part you just finished explaining a little bit more about the wheel of cognition so can we just carry on from that like you said you wanted to go deeper and i i can't wait so
0: (laughs) yeah so um here's some chinese terminology um And this is what we call the wheel of cognition in in Chinese medicine and Taoism. It goes ejur. So before I explain all of those things, I'm going to put it into context. So imagine that you're sitting there and that you're feeling a little bit hungry. And beside you is an orange, right? Uh, Or I'll do that for myself. So here I am and I'm doing a podcast and I'm hanging out with, you know, my my good friend Alex. And I'm feeling a bit hungry. So that hunger makes my natural function as an animal, as life. And bacteria do this as well. So it's not like it's complicated. (laughs) Um, I try and sense into my environment something that is going to solve hunger. So I look around with attention with eat. And I see things. I see I'm looking in my, my, the space I'm in right now. I can see my jacket. I can see a used face mask. I can see my broom. Oh, wait, there's something round and it's orange. And that's jur, which is recognition or memory. Because you can't think about anything until you have the thing in your mind, right? So now I've got E. I feel like looking for something that helps me with hunger. Zhe, that looks like food. In fact, a yummy orange that tastes like I remember and has vitamin C because I read a book once. Right? So now I have that going on. So now my mind is going to go into su, which is kind of like ideation meets imagination. So I'm like, hmm... Should I have that orange just the way it is? Should I just bite it and chew on the rind? Should I cut it up into small pieces and, and suck on the wedges like I used to when I was a kid? Should I put it in a smoothie? So I'm, I'm starting to just sort of have that ideational kind of like, hmm, how would I have that orange? So E, attention. Sure. memory recognition. S, so, ideas and imagination right? Because that's kind of where thought happens. And then Lu is, okay, I'm going to get up, grab the ocean orange, go to the kitchen, get a knife, cut it up, and then, and then, and that's the planning stage, right? Because now I'm not just thinking about, hmm, how would I like the orange? Now I'm saying step one, two, three, four, five to take orange, put it in whatever shape I want, and to begin eating it. And then there's "cher," which is the moment I actually start eating the orange, which is to act on the de- to act on the decision of my plan. Now, this is a weird thing in, in the this the sort of the Chinese model is. If I go Yi, zhi, si, lu salucher, if I go attention, recognition, thought, plan, act, the moment I act, all five of those qualities resonate as a pure state of what we call tsan, uh, or appreciative attention or discernment. I'm like, hmm, that was a really good orange. Or, oh my god, <clears throat> that wasn't an orange. It was a Christmas or- ornament. I just ate it. Oh my god. <laughs> right? Hey, when that happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know,
1: it's
0: that time of year. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So what we're, we're, what we're seeking in, in the Taoist model uh, around meditation and cognition is noticing that all uh, internal dialogues are stuck in that wheel, and I'm just trying to get to the satisfaction moment of appreciation and discernment of, hmm, that was a good orange.
1: I kind of want an orange now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm picturing one. Yeah. <laughs> we got a few steps already. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, so, and this this is like a really intense, like, kind of skill to develop because. You know if you're going to sit in meditation the first thing you're going to do is just notice that you're always talking to yourself Mm. and you're never going to stop no matter how many thousand lifetimes you apply meditation because your mind has a narrative as a sub vocal expression of your thought and if you don't think you're not going to do anything right even breathing in and out and being in that spacious place is a kind of decision right And there are spaces in meditation where you might go many hours without actually having a a deeply narrative-driven experience. You're probably going to have a much more sensual, connected, um, spacious experience, right? But that takes a while to get to the point where you can drop into a meditation and not have a lot of cognitive uh, content.
1: I guess getting to the part where you're actually meditating faster, right?
0: Uh, Yeah, as soon as you decide to do something faster, you're against a believed and imposed resistance. And now your identification with is being against something that someone, maybe you, put in your way. So now you're three levels behind where meditation goes.
1: (laughs) So you can get into your way by trying to get out of your way.
0: (laughs) And that's the point of being uh, consciously aware of cognition. Right. So if I'm sitting in meditation after months or years and I notice that my mind is looping, which is what it does. That's how the cognitive wheel works. It's looping. I'm thinking about something. I'm imagining an outcome. I feel a satisfaction because I finally told the joke to that guy I met on that bus 27 years ago. That should have been such a great moment to say that funny thing. And then I'm back to the satisfaction moment where the heart is, you know, kind of like rings from, ah. Oh, that would have been funny. And then my mind goes back to attention, and then my mind goes into whatever else might cue me, into another memory, into another thing to have ideation or imagination about so that I can solve the problem by planning, and then I can have that moment of like, I woulda, shoulda, coulda, and then I'm back to step one again. Right. Now, each of us spends more time either in imagination, in reflection and recognition and memory, Right. Um, or in actually like planning sequences. A few people, and this is more of a specific kind of anxiety, try and focus on making many different kinds of decisions. Right? So they make lists, and then they cross things off their lists. So they can have the feeling of, here's what I have to think about, I'm remembering what I have to plan. And then I'm going through the list of my plan, and I'm rearranging my list of my plan so I have a better plan. And then I'm going to scratch things off my plan when I get them done or whatever. And that's when the mind is trapped between Lu and Chur. Right. So now we have a map in this wheel for where we as individuals in our meditation can find ourselves getting kind of stuck. And usually what happens at that point is we feel into the body and feel into the emotions and be like... Yeah, still kind of feeling insecure, still thinking about some version of a father figure in my life that I want to prove myself to. Or, um, you know, didn't really date a lot of people in high school, so I'm going to be focusing a lot on how I could be cuter or funnier or uh, better at the sexual access game. Or, you know, there's a thousand different patterns, but they're coming from an emotional place that is driven by an instinctual place, which we've learned from emotional intelligence that's now driving the wheel of cognition. So sometimes emotional intelligence is a really good start, but some of us are not very emotionally intelligent. And I don't mean that like people are dumb. It just means you don't have, you haven't spent a lot of time there. So some of us kind of land like you're landing a helicopter. We land on the top of our head before we land in the center of our heart. So if I'm sitting in, uh, you know, in the attempt of meditation and I'm looping and I start noticing that I'm in a specific corner of looping and that I feel into where that's coming from in my body and I can feel the emotion, I can feel the memory of the emotion, I can feel the instinct, the reason why I have the emotion, and then I can just be the instinct. And all of a sudden the body softens into the truth of the instinct. And then the cognitive wheel just keeps moving because you're like, yep. I get that.
1: That makes a lot of sense.
0: You know, and this this is like you know five to ten years of, of sitting on your cushion, your bench, your your floor, whatever you like to do, um, and just noticing that it's like a left foot and a right foot. You know, your heart takes a step, consciousness take takes a step, and then cognition takes a step. All right. And in a way, we're kind of moving forward, but in a way, we have to kind of move backwards first. What oh, am I got feeling? you to start
1: with a good foundation, right?
0: Yeah, well, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling that? What do I think about? How do I think about it? Where are my thoughts really stuck in the process of thinking? What's the feeling that keeps me held in that place in my thinking? So I back away, and then I step forward. And then maybe I find myself in some other weird place, and I back away, and then I step forward. And it's not that I have to get anywhere. It's just that I'm moving in time, and wanting to flow into my practice, because again, in in you know, depending on the Taoist tradition you're you're uh, following or, or practicing, there is some very subtle processes to do to self-regulate deeper systems in the body, and that's where Neigong and Neidan actually happen. But you can't keep your attention on all of those subtle inner embodied meridian and, and and fascial and uh instinctual parts of the physical body if you're chasing around words you made up two tenths of a second ago right okay so, so that I mean, makes sense <laughs> i mean and i mean i'm, I'm, I'm a, when i talk about this with people sometimes if i'm in a room full of people it's easier because i can see the number of people's eyes who've glazed over it like i have no idea where this is going or what he, what that means to me and how many people are like okay i can bring that into my practice so th- th- this is not where you start this is where you grind <laughs> i guess yeah right you know to get underneath of that and the more we understand that and perceive it the more we're actually in the f- front of it instead of in the back seat of it because we have to kind of grab the mind by the wheel and at first, we're all kind of in the back seat with the cab driver of just conditioning, mm-hmm. right? So,
1: well, step one is deciding to start feeling yeah. <laughs> a little more. But yeah, that's that's huge.
0: And uh, this this reminds me of something. And um, uh, this is the the one thing if I ever have ever get a time machine I'm gonna go back and live this day again because um, I've forgotten the name and and I'm not certain but I think it was uh, this is attributed to uh, someone uh, Lu Tongping uh very famous uh, uh, thinker and and ascetic and poet and and teacher of Taoism from about a thousand years ago I think Um one of his disciples had said, and this was maybe six or seven hundred years ago, I think. Um, he had said that because people can read, because people can interact with hundreds and hundreds of different people all of the time, because you can go to the opera and uh, watch the world story play out on on, the, on a stage. Um, And that was his big concern, was that reading books, watching the world go by, watching people play out people stuff, watching shows on a stage, uh, which is way different now. And he didn't use this term. The the term I use for that is audience consciousness. His concern way back then, hundreds of years ago, if not a thousand years ago, if if this is attributed to that one teacher, um, his statement was, it's too late for enlightenment now. No one will be enlightened anymore because we're so overstimulated and our reference point for the world is what we read, what we watch, and what we sit in an audience and watch. Now when we go to school as children in, in the modern world, we sit and watch our teacher. Now we're all on Zoom because of 2020, sitting and watching a screen trying to watch our teacher. Also watching a screen for our favorite YouTube video or our favorite TV show. You know, when we get back to being able to go to a show, we're going to sit and watch the show, sit and watch a concert, sit and watch a sports event, right? So the the distinction is is we're now kind of one or two or three layers away from being present to our existence because we're used to sitting and watching.
1: We get pretty used to that too and just, even uh, that's probably why you see like, something happening that you know it could be some conflict between people and then other people around are like not jumping in to help because they're just oh that's just like on the TV you know so they're just kind of observing right yeah so.
0: and, and now we can all a lot of us nowadays when there's something bad happening we all well I shouldn't say we I don't think I've ever done this but um many people that I've you know I see uh, when I'm watching something usually from a bigger city if there's a car accident if there's a fist fight most people who are standing there are holding up their phone watching the situation to to record it and how many people go to concerts now to watch your favorite musician and you go there and you're the cameraman so you can watch the show later
1: that it's crazy yeah so i think that that's
0: actually (laughs) i'm glad i brought that up because that's actually the the example i wanted is i wanted to bring up an example that takes you out of the emotion out of the cognitive wheel of jerk I'm at the concert. I'm in the show. I'm in the appreciation. I'm in the dancing. I'm in the music. I'm in the moment. So you, you if you're going to go into meditation it's it's like, you know, you you kind of you're the audience but you're the stage. You're the you're the person on the stage at the same time. And it's that reunion of the observer and the actor that that allows this all this stuff to actually work. But the reason I bring up that story of that that You know, a bit of wisdom from a long time ago is in the modern world, we have a couple of new problems to face. And we have to find a way to kind of jump through that barrier, to grab onto that steering wheel of the cab of our mind instead of sitting in the back seat waiting to see where your mind goes.
1: And even, even um, actually a little bit farther towards like where your mind goes, and are you the the real observer? And yeah, I, th- I think it's related. But one, once you had mentioned to me about when you're watching something, to um, like imagine you're in their shoes. So I guess that's along the lines. It seems to be consistent. It's just more, yeah, more reaching, but for understanding in depth. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, and, and this, is, this is largely from, from Chinese medicine perspective, uh, a lot of things we're talking about here. So what does Western science say about this type of uh, subject? You know, what's their approach on, on this uh, way of thinking? Uh,
0: yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. So the, the part of Western psychology that, that I would say has the most to, to speak to about this is called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And probably the number one thing that I always encourage my patients to do is give a name to the quality of your thoughts when you're looping.
1: Like a person's name or?
0: Uh, well, I mean, if you're thinking about a person, I wouldn't give it the name of the person. I would give it a name of why I'm thinking about that person that way. So the most common example, say, from a CBT or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy perspective, uh, clinically, would be, um, say, I'm washing the dishes and I'm thinking about my family. Um, You know, there's this pandemic and um, actually this happened a few days ago. My son will be driving from where we are now in the mountains the middle of British Columbia to the coast to go back to university. And that's a couple of huge mountains he's going to have to drive over in a kind of small car. You know, so my mind was like, well, what happens if he slides off the road? What happens if that that crazy bad corner? What happens? What happens? And I'm like, ah, okay, catastrophic thinking. I'm having catastrophic thinking. Right? A lot of people with anxiety, with PTSD, with a, a lot of other anxiety uh, uh, kind of issues, that's the first thing that their mind does when they're looping is they're looping up more and more catastrophic ideation. What if this happens? What if aliens invade? What if the aliens really hate people with my colored hair? Like what, what if, oh my God. <laughs> and then instead of trying to like figure that out, you go, I'm having catastrophic thinking. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to rub my feet. I'm going to have a nice bath. I'm going to do something else because this isn't me. This is me on anxiety. Right, so that that's one quality of cognitive behavioral therapy that's just simply give it a nickname, back away slow, come into your body, and just shake off the belief that any of that was real because it's not. <laughs> so um, cognitive behavioral therapy, Western um, science, it doesn't really go in a wheel in the same way. Although, you know, they would they would say it goes in exactly the same sequence. They don't just describe it that way. They describe each of those faculties of the mind as just faculties of the mind. So I'm going to speak to each of those. And um, maybe, uh, Alex, do your best to kind of like just think of how the audience is hearing what I'm saying. Because I'm going to be basically teaching doctors as I start talking because that's okay how my mind kind of talks about this stuff and um I'll try and make sure it's clear and, and everything but just just make sure that it really makes sense to you and that it might make sense to someone who doesn't spend a lot of time doing this kind of stuff Definitely. so the first thing that um I would speak to from a Western point of view about this is a part of your instinctual nervous system that produces uh, something called an orienting reflex. Okay. So when we look at this thing called an orienting reflex, the way I usually describe it is, imagine you're watching uh, like a four month old puppy run around your house. Right, so it's always following its nose. Sniff, 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 sniff. Now what's it doing? it's looking for something to chew on, it's looking for something to play with, and every once in a while, it's looking to find out if a new smell is actually dangerous or not, right? So say it's coming up to all, where all the shoes are, and you know, puppy's in shoes, it's sniffing, it's sniffing, its tail is wagging because, oh, I'm gonna find something good, I'm gonna find something fun to chew on, Mm-mm-mm. And then the puppy's nose goes from one pair of shoes to a pair of shoes that are covered in shoe polish. And the puppy's brain is like, oh, man, I don't want to touch that. And its tail does something different because it's not happy puppy anymore. It's like, ooh, I don't know if that's, what is that? So we all have an orienting reflex in the sense that our mind is always turning back and forth between what is is an adaptive advantage? What's good for me? And then once we start looking at what's good for me, it's about 30 seconds to two minutes for most people before they do a shoulder check which is a conscious necessity of, is there anything dangerous around me, right? So this orienting reflex is kind of like a puppy's nose. The mind is always inside of itself, or inside of your living room, or driving down the road going, hmm, 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 hmm. And then you look at your rear view mirror, or you look at your side mirror just to see what's going on with the rest of traffic.
1: Sounds reasonable
0: but it's to actually notice that's the front of your mind. I'm in meditation, I'm in my posture, I'm in my breathing, and it's about every 30 seconds to two minutes the mind is like, what if something else happens? And you don't actually have to hear your mind say that, it's more like your mind just sort of checks in with something and the quality of your emotional tone and your awareness kind of tightens a bit. And then you're like, whatever, man, I'm meditating. And maybe you get past two minutes to like five minutes or 10 minutes or whatever. But that's the first thing we all have to learn when we're going into cognition and consciousness is, happy puppy, happy puppy, what was on that shoe? Happy, happy, what the, what, where was that from? la la la, la. what was that noise? Until you actually are, again with the metaphor of the cab and the back seat and the front seat, always steering the nose, the orienting reflex, into sensation, into presence, into spaciousness, into breath, into if you're you know, whatever you're doing with the actual mind.
1: So that means that your reflex is then shifted from reactionary, like, oh what's that, what's that, to, oh, I notice I'm about to go like what's that, what's that? And instead knowing where that comes from a little more, we'll just stay on track, right?
0: Yeah. And I mean, the opposite is also true. And in a way, you could say this is where meditation is kind of a rock star. So if I think of someone who actually has anxiety and they're aware of their orienting reflex and they're doing some kind of meditation, whether where it comes from doesn't matter, and they're so used to being focused on the bad shoe, that once in a while their mind is going, hell, 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 pain, suffering... I'm terrible, I should be, you know, stepped on like a bug because I was stepped on as a child in some way. So that's my reflex to the world, is it's just a closet full of bad shoes. But if you sit in that state long enough, your mind might actually start to go, it's kind of nice out. Wow, I think I was just quiet for 30 seconds. Right? Because for some people, it's, it's proportionately negative, And for them, the orienting reflex, you know, the sense of grabbing onto the steering wheel of the mind is, I can actually choose to just look out the window and enjoy the scenery. But I have to turn off my TV, turn off my phone, stop thinking about everything that could go wrong with the future, because it hasn't happened, and who knows, until I can actually bring my puppy nose of presence to something that's actually about space and pleasure and calm and, and... Uh, Truth and and you know empathy and compassion and stuff Okay, right, so when we think about consciousness Taoism and cognition the first thing is You know, it's like a doorknob or something, you know, am I actually in direct contact with my orienting reflex? And how long can I keep it from flopping around back and forth and just being being this Because if I'm always looking for a good shoe or I'm always trying to avoid a bad shoe, I'm still having anxiety. I'm not really present. I'm in preference, right? Okay. Right. Or habit or just continually reliving the trauma body, right? And that's not a negative. It's just one starting point for people.
1: And to even be aware, right, that those things when they pop up, you know, are just, hey, it's just this stage in the wheel.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I mean, what so, I often ask people to do, and I still do this myself sometimes, if I, if I want to get a quick four or five minutes in, because that's just the time I have, um, I just say, okay, mind, I'll be back in five minutes. Are you okay? Do you need anything? Because I'm going to leave you for five minutes. And then the right. dialogue of the mind is like, oh, okay. And then <laughs> space opens up. But if I sit there like a bad cowboy movie, you know, guns drawn, staring at my internal dialogue going, look, man, I asked you to back off. <laughs> it's going to point its little guns back at you and say, but I'm, survi- I'm your survival, man. If you don't listen to me, we will both die. Uh-huh. Whereas if you're like, I think we're all good. You're good. I'm going to go away for five minutes. Just give me a minute. And the mind's like, oh, cool. Well, you know, doo doo <laughs> So, we we do have to cultivate that awareness of cognition and awareness. So, the first thing we all have to become one with, I suppose, (laughs) is the puppy's nose. Millions of years of instincts are underneath of your thinking. You can't change them. But you can keep coming closer and closer and closer to what compels them until, again, like a steering wheel, you're choosing.
1: Okay. Well, yeah, it's just taking control then of your own reflexes a bit more.
0: Yeah. So this is where the metaphor gets a little weird. So uh, imagine, uh, I guess, a prison or a castle. Castle would be better. Prisons are just by default scary. So imagine a castle, but it's kind of a modern castle, and it's got a searchlight on a tower. Okay. So the searchlight is going from gate to gate to look for who's coming in, or you know, is anyone trying to sneak in, or where's the ninja, or whatever your castle is doing. So again, that's kind of looking at the searchlight as your orienting reflex. My attention's here, my attention's here, my attention's here. Now, what I really want to do is go up in a helicopter and look at the whole castle and watch the thoughts, the memories, the to-do lists, um, the things emotion brings up, you know, the, you know, can't wait to go and have fun with this kind of stuff. All of those thoughts are experienced in a way simultaneously within the mind. Right? So our perception, if we're not paying attention, is wherever the light goes. Try not to think about an apple.
1: That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> right? But instead of trying
0: to decide which apple or which kind of fruit I look at, I'm just going to go up into the helicopter of metacognition and watch the mind be a mind. Hmm. Right? And that that's in a way where Western cognitive thinking, you know, uh, assumes meditation is going, is you're just sitting in a metacognitive state. You're aware of your awareness. You're aware of your memories. You're aware of your plans. You're aware of your... You're hungry or not you're aware of uh you're i don't know if you're feeling um i really want to go and get some exercise i really want to go and uh go dancing i really want to go and have sex with my partner i really want to whatever it is that's all of those moving uh energies or, or impulses in in our consciousness we can see them and we do feel them in a way simultaneously with what we call metacognition and metacognition is you watching you think, you watching you feel, you watching you decide.
1: Kind of feels like sitting beside a river, in a sense, Yeah. And sort of watching the flow of life in your thoughts. And maybe that river's cold, so you don't feel like you have to jump in there and, <laughs> and get involved. So it's, hey, you know, a little bit easier to sit and just, yeah, uh, and reflect and observe and have a gentle approach, I guess.
0: Yeah, and when you have that meta-awareness, you don't have to follow the searchlight anymore. Mm -hmm. And if you really trust your mind, you can take your meta-cognition, instead of looking down at everything going on in the castle, you can just look up. And just perceive perception. Sunrise, sunset, full moon, new moon, cloudy sky, big bird. Is that a dragon? Oh my God. <laughs> Dragons are cool. <laughs> yeah. And now we're back to the searchlight because we had to come up with a word for dragon. That's right. Right. And then we go back to, all right, searchlight, dragon, focus away from the dragon, back to the castle, back to the helicopter, back to the awareness of awareness, back to the awareness of all mind, thought, feeling, space, perception, sort of simultaneously. Okay.
1: And yeah, that. That clearly is kind of a recurring thing, you know. Oh, yeah. we're focused on the apple, all right. Well, let's let's take it back and good tool, great tool right there.
0: Yeah, so your orienting so. reflex is E. Okay. Your proverbial castle is Zhe. All your memories and, and what you recognize and, and also kind of some motivation. If I go up and I look at the helicopter, now I'm in su. I'm just seeing myself thinking. And in a way that's metacognition, right? I'm just seeing thoughts and and memories and stuff kind of move around. And when I start to actually do something with it, like, oh, I'm thinking about a dragon. I should probably not think about any of these things. And just look up and then come back to, oh, yeah, right. My plan right now is not to put things in a row. It's to let it all flow. And now, Lu to dr is... Ah, I just am metacognitively aware, and my orienting reflex is very full of all perception, not narrow searchlight perception. Sometimes I talk about this in the distinction between having a flashlight and having a candle. So here's a fun game, let's say you and I, for whatever reason, Are in a three legged race, those potato sack races where you're kind of like one of our, our, both of our legs are tied together and we have to walk together. (coughs) Uh, And it's really dark. And we're in a haunted house because it's Halloween. And only one of us has a flashlight. Hey, man, did you hear that noise? And now we're wrestling over the flashlight to point it at what we thought we heard, right?
1: Mm hmm.
0: So that's what modern thinking is like because there's the you that wants to meditate and there's the you that wants to scroll your phone and both of you are fighting over the flashlight, Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah.
0: right? So what if you and I were in that haunted house and one of us had a survival kit or something, whatever, (laughs) and we sat on the floor and lit a candle?
1: Great, we can see everything in this little area.
0: Yeah, so that's going from orienting reflex to metacognition to a floating kind of perceptive awareness. Okay. So that's actually where most of us want to be most of the time. And then, because, well, life, when you get to that place, which most of us spend, you know, hopefully a few minutes, if not hours a day, and just sort of peripheral present awareness, what comes uh, comes up next in the mind from a cognitive point of view is called your... um, uh, default mode network. Okay. So do you know what a Rolodex is? Uh,
1: that's, not, that's not jumping up in my memory bank there. Okay.
0: So, yeah, this is like you have to be old yeah. like me because a Rolodex is something people used to have on their desk, which is like a bunch of cue cards with addresses and phone numbers on it that you would oh, roll yeah. <clears throat> as an index of, of names and people to find what you're looking for.
1: Grandma had one of those. Right. I know the thing. So yeah. I
0: think maybe now, <laughs> nowadays, let's call it your spam email folder. Okay. So in this new universe of meditation, you have to read every email you get.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Because your default mode network is the thoughts you have to think to not uh, have that thought lingering as a necessary decision to make. Okay. Right. So, if I'm sitting there in my meditation, my spam email comes up or my Rolodex comes up with the 72 or the 5 or the 5,000 thoughts I need to have to clear those thoughts off of the list of to do thoughts to have to make sure I'm consciously aware of the consequence of that experience or that decision or that person. Okay. Because we're now kind of like, you know, humans are very collaborative, we're kind of tribal in the sense. So anytime we have an interaction, there's a memory or an imprint of that interaction in our being. And until we're sure that interaction is over, it isn't over.
1: And sometimes for years and years after, like you were saying, revisiting the, (laughs) oh, if I told that guy that joke that one time a few years ago. Yeah. And with that stuff, are we talking like, let's just completely let it go. Like it's time to just, you know what, just wrap it up, be it, you know.
0: Well, there you can't. You can't. Common. You can. You can do that if you read the email. Yeah. Right. So the only way you can get through your default mode network is to sit in reflection. And be like, yeah, that was a weird conversation. Yeah, that would have been funny. Yeah, I don't need to keep having this thought anymore. And I'm, I'm aware I'm having this thought because I find being funny makes me feel less insecure. So I keep bringing up that that rolodex card or that email because it reminds me i have something to learn to feel clearer or more competent or more confident or just more at ease so sense. the people the people who are stuffing their thoughts away and trying to just live in bliss or in in like the land of you know no thoughts um sometimes that's because they're done with their their email and sometimes it's because they're repressing their email because they just want to be better than that And the reason they want to be better is because they haven't read all those emails about trying to be better (laughs) yeah right so when we sit we have our searchlight we have our castle we can sit above the castle in our helicopter we can be the you know look at the finger pointing at the moon or we can look at the moon and as we look at the moon then the rolodex or the emails come up saying Remember that you're not complete with your past until you've really made a decision about this thought, this memory, this conversation, this experience, that good date, that bad date, you know, that thing with your parents, whatever.
1: That actually um, also makes me think of how many people feel, I guess, so tied up in their day. And that's why the spam, you know, folder, I guess, exists. So it's like, oh, I just don't even want to read those emails, right? And then, you know, things they pile up that way. So it, it takes just a little bit as well to even open them up, I guess. You have to be in the right frame of mind to begin with, as, as we were talking about, right? Yeah,
0: because it's, it's a practice of like recycling stuff. You know, there's the old saying, you can't grow roses without a lot of manure. Yeah. You can't grow enlightenment without some suffering and pain. So, in Daoism, we refer to this practice, uh, Nexiang, as inner reflection. And it's described like this. So, you know, and this is a Bruce Lee quote, you know, like, uh, don't look at the finger pointing at the moon, look at the moon. Right? Now, if you're going to go into meditation, let's not be arrogant here and just assume we can just stare at the moon and be complete with our embodied existence because Taoism is all about your embodied existence at least at first maybe for the first 20 or 30 years so the image we often use is look at the moon's reflection in a pond now this is kind of a joke but imagine taking your hand Alex and you're sitting in your meditation you're next to the pond And you're looking at the moon, but the moon looks kind of weird because there's ripples on the pond. So now imagine that you're going to take your hand and try and flatten down the pond so you can see the moon better.
1: Yeah, that'll work. (laughs) 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 I'll do it. (laughs) Right. Okay.
0: So we're in this practice, our our inner reflection practice. The only thing I can do as as a Taoist practitioner is be, what's called, anshanzi an si jing, right? To calm the mind, the spirit, until the jing is settled and secure. Like a pond in the mountains that is so flat, it looks like a mirror because there's no wind. There's no like anxiety, there's no impatience. It's just a mirror. Like who who doesn't feel touched by that? I mean, how many pictures do you see that touch you when you look at the reflection of the world in water like there's something about that that just gets us all right like oh man look at that beautiful reflection of that tree that bird that sunrise that sunset you know and whatever yeah and we know you can't flatten water with your hand as much as you might want to right i'll be patient sooner damn it
1: You know what? I'm taking the moon with me. You just get a big bowl. You just <laughs> <grab it. laughs> We're going to do this later. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Some of us will oh. we'll hack this. We'll figure out how to make it work better. <laughs> right? So here I am in my meditation as an embodied experience, softening and accepting that my default mode network is going to keep putting things up on top of the moon because I need to look at it. But maybe if I choose to look at it in a state of reflection and include that as a part of my existence, as a part of my nature, my Xing Ming, my nature and my existence, over time, eventually you can do what Bruce Lee said. You know, don't look at the reflection in the pond. Don't look at the finger pointing at the moon. Just look at the moon. But you can't look at the moon as the moon if it's covered in everything that's on your default mode network and your spam email. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So inner reflection is having the humility to look at the mind as the body. Become so clear with your embodied state that the body becomes a pure reflecting lake. And then let things fly over the lake from your default mode network as thought. Embrace it. Reflect on it recapitulate it, allow it to move on when it's time to move on, and perhaps you'll never read that email again. Or perhaps two weeks later your girlfriend will say something about your nose that reminds me of you know of that thing that happened in the gym locker at a high school and then I'm sitting in my meditation going, Oh, you again. Now I can either grab my hand and flatten the water ha <laughs> ha or go, hmm, well, feel deeper into the body. There's an emotional intelligence opportunity here because this keeps coming up. Right. Because I haven't completed that part of my orienting reflex of is this good or bad. Right? Hmm. So I have my yitra okay. sulu I have my orienting reflex. I have my metacognition. And now I have the discernment of actually my only plan is to reflect on and be authentically honest with what I feel about what I think not to add what I think about what I th- feel about what I think that's just <laughs> sentimental addiction that's like uh <laughs> romance movies and Harlequin novels where we just get caught up in how it feels to think about feelings
1: yeah
0: right so that's nice and in, in, you know writes really thick books but it doesn't reflect our meditation right but it also reflects where, maybe how much work we may have to do with our meditation to actually get to meditation. And then there's this other thing that's really, really, really challenging. It's called implicit memory. Okay. Implicit memory is something that's stored in your nervous system that tells you about you and your capacity to be you in the world, or your need to overcompensate for how you are in the world to feel like you belong in the world or that you're going to succeed in the world. So I'm going to ask you to um, do a little thought experiment with me if that's cool.
1: Yeah, sounds fun.
0: Okay, so close your eyes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say a word and I'm going to ask you and the listeners to do the same thing. Close your eyes. And I'm going to say a word, and think of the first three people that just pop into your head. All right. Ready? mm mm-hmm. Giving people some space to, you know, let the sand settle and the water, you know, calm down in the pond of the mind. Three people who remind you of the word confidence.
1: I think about overconfident people that I think. So you don't
0: don't need to tell me who those three people are. Yeah, they came up quick. Boom. Okay, so scrub that off of your mind. Remember those people that came up. But we're going to try something else. Okay. Close your eyes. Flatten your pond so that you can reflect the universe. And I'm going to ask you to think of three people. Could be the same, could be different. but now we're gonna think of three people who remind us of the word comfortable.
1: That's a different feeling. Yeah. Hmm.
0: So that's kind of a weird example of how implicit memory works.
1: Interesting, that was more Uh, calm.
0: Yeah, because if there's a bunch of things in your life that made you uncomfortable, that made you hurt, that made you scared, that made you sad, that made you mad, <clears throat> that made you afraid, or made you anything, that's the color of the water in your pond. Okay. Or that might be the alligator that keeps swimming around causing ripples in your meditation.
1: So we got to wrestle an alligator now. You well, uh, <laughs> gotta get that guy out of there. I'm just gonna.
0: Can I can I play with that?
1: Yes, of course.
0: So Alex, um, I'm gonna pretend you're a patient in a case study. So sure. our patient Alex clearly has the <laughs> implicit memory that winning at fighting is going to solve the problem because his first reflex on solving the alligator problem was to beat <laughs> it up.
1: <laughs> get out of my pond!
0: It's my pond. Try
1: try I'm, to be calm here. <laughs> I'll choke you up, man. <laughs> What do you do? Hey, man, you could like give him some food. Maybe he would go nicely then. But
0: (laughs) and and that would be probably what a chef would do. Mm -hmm. Feed the alligator and make friends.
1: That sounds good too.
0: So this is the game of conscious cognition. Because in Taoist practice, especially in the modern world, when we're living in the audience of the mind, not even in the mind, scrolling our phones, scrolling our spam email list, looking for the ones we want and not the ones we don't want. We're that many layers away from actually just being conscious. So what I need to do is spend the time in reflection and noticing that there's some things that change the way I reflect on the world. And they're often coming from deep, historic, emotional experiences. Because what, what we m- mean by implicit memory is a memory that tells you who you are implicitly by default, by the fact of the universe, by the nature of the, I don't know, tooth and claw of the jungle of life or whatever you believe, Mm -hmm. right? So your implicit memory about you produces every response you have that's unconscious.
1: Oh, so we definitely want to look at, how that how we relate to ourselves i guess
0: yeah like in somatic therapy we're often talking to people about their narrative because we want to sneak up on their somatic or their felt sense experience so we talk to them about well tell me about that story about what that that thing that happened when you were in high school and then they start talking about it and then you can see them kind of fidgeting in their chair and then you say hold on a second you know um sheila (laughs) Tell me what you're feeling in your body right now. And then Sheila says, you know, yeah, I was thinking about this. You know, I I feel this turning to the right. I feel my shoulder coming up around my neck. I feel this tightening in my throat. I feel my diaphragm squeezing the butterflies in my stomach because I'm feeling afraid of being judged. So I'm trying to get small but also survive. So the implicit memory is stored in your body as a feeling of trying to get smaller, but still be big enough to live. Right? And we could call that, you know, uh, we, that's chi Sure, That's that constraint in, in the nervous system. So most of our implicit memories are a memory of a day, but they're stored in our nervous system. And because that's stored in our nervous system, that becomes our glasses, which is the implicit memory because it's implicitly you and how you see the world. Right. So some of us want to wrestle the alligator because our implicit memory says fight them.
1: Hey, it looks fun when some people do it, so a little bit dangerous.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> I could make a, I'm thinking a bunch of Florida man jokes right now.
1: they <laughs> too, that's what I was thinking about. It's like, man, those guys seem to have a good time. Yeah. But
0: the dangerous thing is if, we, if we're gonna go in if we're gonna go into Taoism right. consciousness Echo, echo Consciousness, oh boy, and cognition, which is today's uh, conversation. We're going to have to accept that there's layers to this, because what you have as cognitive experience is a reflection of the way your mind works, like a wheel. Right? Mm -hmm. It's going to work exactly the way a puppy works, because it can't not work that way. It's going to have some homework based on our default mode network, our, our spam email of memories to think about. Pushing them down is an interesting response. It's probably coming from an implicit memory of control or avoidance. When we start opening up those emails, our initial reaction to those stories in our head are going to be coming from our implicit memory. It's not fair or whatever it is that comes to mind, right? So the idea with consciousness and cognition is to basically reverse engineer your mind, because it's doing to you what your mind is going to keep doing to the world, until you take it apart, lay it down on the ground, and let the pond be a mirror. Okay. Right. And I mean that—that's why we have all these teachings that have you know come from all these different traditions: Buddhism, Taoism, yogic practice. There, there's so many different ways to very slowly sneak up on your mind and start to uh, let it to spread out and to move the, the impulses around a little bit until we understand them and have compassion and patience for them. And then we become them. And then we become the one embracing them. And then we become the part of us that embraces all of this. Okay. And then we just become becoming. And then there's a few layers below that you know because i mean <clears throat> i love i really love it when i see things on social media that are an affirmation that meditation is that i this iconic pure radiant spacious stillness and all these other yummy adjectives that we can you know play with and yeah that's a nice place to be it's kind of like the parking lot And that parking lot may or may not be full of decades of memory and trauma, or just interesting cars to drive around. But you're still separate from the conditions of, of existence in a way. So when we get through all of that stuff over the years it takes to like recapitulate them and have a sense of humor and a lot of patience with yourself and usually a lot of other people first because until you can get over your reaction to other people you're probably not going to get past your reaction to yourself. Yeah. But you know with patience and, you know, emotional intelligence, what you might call cognitive awareness, you know, conscious awareness of how your mind works, after a while things slow down enough that you you know you, you make enough elbow room to realize that you're you're more the space than the parking lot you know you're more okay. the space than the bliss or the space instead of the opposite of bliss and then there's a few layers below that
1: okay it's almost just about the capacity By the sounds of it, maybe, or what'd you say?
0: I'm not sure what capacity is in relationship Uh, with.
1: I guess I was just a little, uh, my background as an electrician came up for a second, where I was just thinking when you were saying that, like what do you really look for is the capacity to do work, the voltage, how much we can get here. uh, That might not be directly connected with what we're talking about, but it seems...
0: Well, I mean, I used to be an engineer, so if I was to run with that, I would say, yeah, put the electricity into the circuit and watch the resistors heat up. Ah, okay. And then notice that that's where the work needs to happen, because that's where the flow of beingness still has an implicit memory and still is going to throw out default mode network stories to bring your awareness to where you're still not really comfortable with yourself, right? Right.
1: So there you go. You're just looking up and down the line, so to speak. Electrical reference is kind of helpful in this case. Um, And yeah, looking for those spots where there are inefficient distribution of electricity or flow or life flow in our case.
0: Yeah. And, And the patience and the willingness to, I guess, feel the resistance in the resistor and feel the emotion and the story and the truth and the survival kind of instinct behind the resistance in the resistor and go into enough of the adaptive pause with enough assertion and enough readiness. And those are the instincts we learned in the last episode about emotional intelligence to hold the space for what's moving through as resistance. And then less resistance, more flow, more consciousness, more acceptance, uh, you know, more discernment, more empathy, more compassion you know but you know i think all of us are looking for the the secret back door you know like i'm just going to find my way back around all this stuff not do any of the work and i'm free
1: that's actually what i was kind of wondering is how we sort of bring this into a thing that we a practice uh, how, how we you know connect it with our with our training i guess
0: yeah and that's how is so to, that's to it. sit yeah. and and i mean After a meditation, if your mind keeps going back to something and something, I mean, years ago, I used to have like a little notepad that I would sit behind me in my meditation and I would write down whatever it is that was the narrative, the story, the emotion, the place in my body, uh, whatever that was keeping my awareness more than what my awareness was on. And that was before I knew what a default mode network was and before I understood metacognition and implicit memory but I I was asked by my teacher, is to begin my meditation where my meditation stops. Interesting. So the next time I sit down to meditate, I look at my list and go like, okay, that's where I'm looping, so let's move into that part of my awareness and move deeper into it. And that's where sometimes tears would flow or you would just end up like leaning your head back and laughing at how funny it is that you're still holding on to that grudge from when that you know you got into that argument at your birthday when you were seven or something yeah so uh this is a you're doing your thousand days Mm -hmm. for people who haven't heard the previous episodes um and i'll encourage you to talk about that in a sec when I ask my students to go on a hundred days, I ask them to get a notepad, and every day you're going to write down three things. Say I'm doing uh, a certain Qigong form. Every day over my hundred days, I do my form and I write down A, what's really feeling good. B, where I'm not really feeling the, the depth of my practice. You know, my knee is stuck, my, my sacrum's tight, you know, whatever. And C, what I'm going to start my practice with tomorrow. Okay. So if A is I'm really in the breath and the timing and the heartbeats and the release B can't seem to let go of my sacrum C tomorrow, first thing I'm going to do is use my breath work to go deep into my sacrum. Yeah. Right. So you're doing a thousand days. Uh, is that a part of your thousand days to have an ABC list or are you, you know, more or less focusing on just your practice?
1: I never really thought of it the way that you put it, but I have been doing that the whole time just out of a strong desire to improve. So what works, what doesn't work, and where do we address what needs to be changed? Um, so when practicing, definitely you look for the positive reinforcement. What is working? And while you're doing that, trying not to get out of touch with the rest of what you're doing so you don't miss something that isn't working. and there are definitely a couple things like hey, you said the knee, you know, that's I have an old injury. So I'm trying to work on that. And then it's it's like, OK, well, if if you go right into maybe a walking exercise, but your back feels a little tight, maybe stretching and breathing, opening things up and uh, some floor exercises, some sitting, looking for the vertical spine, yeah. getting all that. And then, and then transition to walking. You can you know sit with your <laughs> legs at like 90 degrees. It's comparable to standing in a squat, I guess. So that's, yeah, it's a great way to look at it. I kind of want to start writing down and, and taking that approach as well, That like you said, just where you s- finished your exercise today and were aware at the end of that exercise at that point in time what was maybe not working. And just starting there next time is, is a good yep. way to do it. Yep.
0: A, B, C what's working, what's stuck, where to start next time. Cool. So that's when you're on like a committed practice, like a hundred days, when you're there to really like move things around. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to the more felt sense, inner reflective aspects of meditation and consciousness, we talk about noticing. Mm -hmm. Notice that I'm looping, notice that it's in my shoulder, notice that it's in my diaphragm, noticing it, and then naming it, naming my implicit memory, naming my default mode network. Okay, I'm looping because I haven't thought this through. I'm looping because I have an implicit memory in my my neck or something about how to duck. So I can notice it, I can name it. And now I have to make the distinction that the one going any farther has to be very self-regulated. My emotional intelligence, my skills, my posture, my breath, my whatever. Because now that if I'm in self-regulation while still holding what I've noticed and what I've named, I need to be in the, like, almost a sacred practice. Often I talk to my patients about this. Take your emotional pain, hold it in your hands, and notice that you're holding your pain in a sacred way. Focus on not getting rid of the pain, but being able to carry it skillfully and in a meaningful way. Because now i don't want it to go away i want it to be my teacher and now i can recapitulate and and understand and heal that particular memory and trauma and pain now that doesn't make the memory or the pain go away it just makes it meaningful instead of something i don't like and i don't you know uh, i feel as pain instead of as truth right all right So now I'm carrying my sacred pain to become a sacred teacher, to become a sacred truth. Right? Because again, that's that neshamda, the inner reflection, the water, the mirror, the moon, and then actually looking into the moon. So if I can notice, I can name, I can self-regulate, and then I can recapitulate that pain into something more sacred, then I can release the ideations, the stories, and the beliefs that I have around it. And then maybe over the next two or three weeks, when I bump into people who trigger that kind of response in me, I'm like, not going to bite the hook. Right? Oh. Not, not going to go with that. And now I have a whole new uh, implicit memory of me as a being. And what usually happens, and this is my favorite thing to share with people, that spam email list suddenly shrinks by 20% because the only reason I had my default mode network full of those stories to think about was because I needed to feel the feelings that were underneath of them. So my emotional intelligence could allow me to relate to those feelings consciously instead of unconsciously. Okay. Right. So now the next time I open my spam folder or my Rolodex of stuff I know I have to work out, it's suddenly so much smaller. Because the reason okay. the mind keeps going back to those thoughts is you haven't understood and and found a truth about the feeling and, and the memory.
1: So this is how you change your framework.
0: Yeah, well, this is how you mature. It's how you grow. Mm-hmm. It's how the, the water calms and becomes
1: flat. Okay. Sounds good to me. Just, <laughs> no was... alligators this time. Yeah, no alligators. <laughs> you just
0: yeah, you just yeah, that's the thing, no alligators and then you don't have to try and flatten the water with your hand.
1: <laughs> Much better.
0: <clears throat> and it's all of this work and it can take some people months or years or or longer. You have to do this work on the mind body level and then you have to do it on the body fascia body memory level, which is why we do qigong. And then you can go into Ne gong and Ne Chan, like like the, the that uh, deep breath work that allows you to kind of keep looking for any kind of cobwebs in your system. And then you go through what's called jing, the transformation of how your body memory is held in your tendons and how reflexive you are or reactive you are. And then you can begin your gong All right. Right. Because, I mean, it's funny that Taoism is all about flow and freedom and spontaneity but it's also in my experience the most regimented linear process oriented system of self-cultivation in the world
1: that sounds more effective to be organized and and have a path that you know you follow this you you go this direction but the path might wind (laughs) yeah and and then (laughs) that's
0: the game because it's all the moon all the way through Mm -hmm. but we have to start with the finger step by step what's this right. step what's that like oh of course it's just another layer of of awareness and and skillfulness and authenticity and and becoming you know and that that's why i like the the nedan uh, practices they're all kind of secretly held within different traditions. But when you get inside the tradition and you start hearing them, it's step A, you do this, 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 this. Then you go to level two, this, 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 this. Then you learn how this happens. And then all this stuff changes. And then the person practicing is now some other kind of person because you're not doing mundane things anymore. And now we can actually share with you what this actually means and blah, blah, blah. So I meet right. a lot of what you might call hobby Taoists who, who've who read about it, thought about it, and agree in some way with that you know um, that helicopter view of look at the world and look up and be at peace and be in flow, but depending on how much baggage you have and uh, things like that or how caught up you are in the 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 mundane world that that may or may not get you where you actually want to go okay, you know. <clears throat> So that's, that's uh, I have no idea what hearing that whole conversation is over an hour and a half or so. Um, but that's how Taoism and cognition can help you become more conscious of consciousness. And
1: Beautiful. to become
0: free of a whole bunch of baggage. And to notice that in the modern world, we're already a thousand years behind a master saying it's too much stimulation. We're all too addicted and we're all too stuck knowing things and fantasizing all the time.
1: It would have been fun to talk to that guy.
0: Yeah, it would be fun to drop him into 2020 with a cell phone and five different (laughs) versions of social media. He'd probably just scream and throw it in the water and run away.
1: (laughs) I think sometimes everyone feels like doing that. (laughs) But it's also Um, the
0: perfect metaphor. I mean, your phone is the perfect metaphor for your mind. Scrolling, wow. scrolling, scrolling, do that a lot. Scrolling, gonna have implicit memory raha. Right? <laughs> yeah.
1: You go to the concert, be at the concert, man. Yeah. That's right. So, too many delayed responses.
0: Yeah. Well, apparently, from a Taoist traditional way of thinking about thinking, we've been scrolling for about six centuries or six millennia now. Oops. <laughs> you know, and, and that—that's where Taoism started. Is you know, mundane conditioning is stopping us from being implicitly connected to the world, as the world. Which is now why we have Taoism. It's like, okay, we're going to need to undo all this stuff step by step.
1: Yeah, that's reasonable. At least yeah. they have a plan for cleaning things up for us. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. I just think it's kind of funny. Like, notice it's 2020, and we're all like addicted to our phones. And six thousand years ago, people were going think we're going to need to start teaching people kind of a step-by-step way of undoing all this stuff.
1: Thankfully, they did. Yep. <laughs> and then even this show could be viewed as sort of a path you might take to walk through the woods to find that pond in the first place and see the reflection. <laughs>
0: yep. Step-by-step-by-step.
1: <laughs> by step by step. That's it. Wow. Well been a great discussion and i think we've touched on a lot of important things that people are going to definitely value and benefit from i would imagine we'll get some questions <laughs> so it seems like this is a good time to wrap up our sixth episode so i'd like to say thank you everyone for listening to primordial dao present dao this has been episode six Taoism, cognition and consciousness If you have any questions or comments, and no doubt you do, please leave them wherever you found this episode. You can also find us at Primordial DAO Present DAO on Facebook. Please like, share, rate, and review. And have a great day. Look forward to seeing you in the next episode.
0: Thank you for exploring and enjoying Primordial DAO Present DAO. We look forward to sharing more in the next episode.